0: Man, You may be seated. Good evening. Yeah, and welcome again to Mission Focus. Yeah. I'm James Fife. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown Baptist Temple. Uh, my wife Rosie's down here in the front-ish. You'll see her later on this week. She'll be up here leading you guys in worship. Um, our family, we were, we were in Pakistan for a number of years and then... Uh, and then we came back Well, we were told to come back. So we're back here and we've been serving back here in, in, in Midtown for the last two years uh, with our missions team here. So that's, that's the real quick and short on who I am. We're not here tonight to talk about who I am. We're here to talk about who somebody else is. And so that's, uh, that's the work we wanna get down to. Uh, our focus is the mission. And our focus tonight is going to be uh, about the mission and about the Savior, about the one who sent us on the mission. Now, uh, real quick, Satan hates that, right? You know that? Like everything that's going on here, Satan is against. And everything we're going to talk about and get envisioned to do for the upcoming years, Satan is against. And he's already at it, like he's already at work. Uh, And and, and while we were up here singing, uh, some box was sitting on a stove downstairs in the kitchen and caught on fire. Satan already is is trying to burn this building down. He's trying to put a stop to it already. But don't worry, that got taken care of. I say that to say, one, that there is an enemy and we do need to be praying. There's a lot that could happen, a lot that could go wrong, but our God is greater. Number two, if you go out there and you smell smoke, don't freak out. (laughs) Um, The building's not on fire. It was fixed, okay? So that's where we're at. We're going to be in the book of Genesis chapter 24 tonight. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there. If you need a handout, put your hand up. And somebody will get you one. We've got a little bit of notes to help you through. And I'm going to pray. And then we'll start jumping into Genesis 24. Heavenly Father, we... Uh, well, God, it's, 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 uh, it's awesome to see the people here, old friends and got a lot of people I don't even know. And that's just as exciting to make new friends and to be, meet new people who are excited about your mission. Lord, it's exciting to be able to sing, Hail, Hail, Lion of Judah. How powerful you are. And God, we do ask that your power would be on display, your might would be on display, that your, your voice, the, the you would speak as, the, as a roaring lion to our hearts and to our lives tonight. Uh, Lord, as we open your word, that you would get the preeminence and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so Genesis 24, I need to give you a little bit of background. I'm going to kind of warm you up to it for those of you who may not be uh, familiar with it. And I know a lot of you are, but I don't want to take, you know, necessarily anything for granted. I want you to, you know, if this is your first time in a missions conference, or you're kind of new to all this. Well, I want to, I want to help you kind of get into the right mindset for what's going on here in Genesis 24. So how did we get here? This chapter, as we'll see in a minute, is going to have a few key characters, one of which is is Abraham. But we get introduced to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. He's 75 years old at that time. And God makes a promise to Abraham. Essentially, in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, he promises him a land. And in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, he promises Abraham that he'll make a great nation of him. So he promises him uh, offspring that will fill a land and, and ultimately uh, a, a really an undying line, an offspring a, that will be a great nation and nations that will continue on even forever. And it also says in, in verse 3 of that same chapter that, that Abraham's seed will be a blessing to everyone, to all generations and to all families of the earth, right? So that's the promise that God makes to Abraham. And in, and in doing so, God gives Abraham a mission, right? So up until that point, we know very little about Abraham. But he had a life and he had things that were important to him. He had a God, perhaps, that he served. We know his family did. He lived in a, in a pagan land and, and he had pursuits of his own life. But all of a sudden, all of that changed as soon as he met God. As soon as God came and spoke to him, his life now has purpose, and now has mission. And simply put, the focus for Abraham's life became the next generation. Right? I'm going to give you a seed. You're going to have a kid. And since Genesis chapter 12, the focus of Abraham's life has been on preparing that next generation. That's that's really been the mission of Abraham's life. Prepare the next generation. And so the family business is building a family. That was Abraham's family business. And if we're honest and if we're truthful, that is our family business as well. So that's actually what got passed down to us as well. That our family business is actually all about building a family and everything else is peripheral. It doesn't matter. See, that has got to become the heart of, uh, of us. As believers, as followers of Christ, our our heart has got to be just like Abraham's. Our mission is just like Abraham's. And it's got to be, how am I training? How am I equipping? How am I preparing the next generation? How am I building this family? So this should be our focus, our mission, our heart, our life. And so that, that bleeds out and that plays out into every aspect of, the, you know, of who we are and of what we do. And even uh, you know, in the good things that we can do, you know, we could ask, I could ask you, like, why are you in Bible school? Is it to gain cool knowledge? Because uh, you will. I mean, you'll, you'll get a lot of cool knowledge because there's a lot of cool stuff in the Bible. Or is it so that you can get equipped, so that you can train and equip the next generation? Those are different things, right? Why, why do you teach Sunday school? Is it because, uh, because there was a need, so I just stepped up, or because it's a way to fit in, because that's what you know, people do in this church, everyone serves, so I just decided I'd, I'd teach Sunday school, or is it because that itself is an opportunity to train and to equip the next generation? You are in Sunday school because you have an opportunity to be about the family business, building a family. Right? And so that has got to be what consumes us. And so that's what consumes Abraham's life. The first 25 years of Abraham's life are consumed uh, with a son. And, and, and all of the interactions that we see in Abraham's life revolve around that, including uh, so much so that we get the problem of the wrong son early on in Abraham's life and his own personal attempts to, to make the mission come to pass. Uh, and then finally we get the promised son. Abraham gets back on track, and uh, as, as God promised from his wife, his old wrinkled up wife. He gets the son, right? And so, and so that becomes the focus of his life. Now he has this baby. He has the next generation. And so uh, he begins to, to grow that young man and uh, that young boy and, and train him into a man. And, and, and by the time we get up to Genesis chapter uh, uh, 24, where we're going to be tonight, uh, Isaac is now a man. Isaac is now 40 years old. And what Abraham realized is that the next generation is, is grown, is mature. So what do I do with my life? I prepare the next generation. Well, it didn't change. And in order for that to happen, that means that Isaac needs a wife. That's where we find ourselves tonight, is that Isaac needs a wife. The son has to have a wife. In order for this to to continue. So, 65 years have passed from from Genesis 12 to Genesis 24 uh, in terms of the life of Abraham and where we're at. 40 of those years now have been with Isaac. And so, Genesis chapter 24 is all about a bride, it's all about finding a bride, but really, it's all about the work of, of one key servant that Abraham has. Abraham is going to send one servant on on a huge mission to go and to find that bride. And so this is the big picture of Genesis 24. The father sends his servant to find a bride for his beloved son. Oh man. That's good. (laughs) Right? You see what God was doing in the Old Testament? I know a lot of you see this, and the pictures run deep in this chapter that we don't have time to touch it. But here, here it is in short. This is a great picture of the work that God is doing right now in the church age, right? And so our key players in this chapter are Abraham, who is a picture of God the Father seeking a, a bride for his son. The, the next key player is Isaac, who is the son who, who represents for us Jesus uh, Christ, the groom who is waiting for a bride. Uh, the servant is the next key player who represents the Holy Spirit for us in this chapter who goes out into the world which by the way it specifically says the son cannot go back and look for the bride himself it's the work of the servant it's the work of the spirit to come and to draw uh draw men to draw the bride unto the son and so that is the work of uh, of the servant here to invite the bride to come and to get married to a man they've never yet met that is the work of the Holy Spirit in and, uh, and this age today. And last, uh, the last key player in this chapter is, of course, the bride, who is a picture of the church, willing to follow the testimony of the Holy Spirit and to accept the proposal of a man that, up to that point, she's never yet met. And that's what happened to most of us in this room is that at one point in our life, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God came and interacted with our life and we became aware of a a loving God and a son who died and wanted to save us from our sins. And up until that point, we had never met him. And we all had to, in faith, follow the Word of that servant and say, yes, I do. That's the big picture. This chapter ends with the bride being taken to meet the groom who is waiting for her, a picture of the rapture of the church, which will end this church age. Interestingly, this chapter is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, just like the church age is the longest dispensation that God has has played out on this earth. Verse 1 begins, And Abraham was old. It begins with an old man. The father is old and coming to the end of his life. The very last verse in this chapter 67 ends with the son consummating a marriage. And so this chapter is bookended by the father and then the son. And it's a transition from the father to the son. But the second verse of the chapter and the second to the last verse of the chapter both mention the servant. And everything in between is all about the servant. And that's what we see in this chapter. From Abraham to Isaac, the hope of a next generation but the work of a servant. And our title for tonight, you might have seen it, is, is, is Servant to the Mission. And what I want to do while I just laid out for you the standard way of viewing this, this text, I want to change that just a little. And I want us to look at the servant tonight not as the Holy Spirit, but as the, as, the, as the missionary, as the servant of the Lord in the church age. I want to insert you and me into this chapter so that we can come away with a few key principles for being the servant in the church age, who was looking for a bride for the son. Can we do that? Can you see yourself in this book already, in this chapter already? Okay. So that's, our, that's where we're going. So our focus will be on, on that servant. So who is the servant? Chapter uh, 24. It's a super long chapter. We're not reading it all. We're going to look at a few verses as we work our way through. And I'm going to give you some points, okay? Chapter 1, and Abraham was old. And well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Thou shalt go unto my country and unto my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into, unto the land. Must I needs bring thy son unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, be, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me and which sware unto me, saying unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou, sh- and, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear unto him concerning that matter. And, and, and we'll stop there and we'll look at the servant. Who is the servant? Verse two says that he's the eldest servant. And, and, and really that's all we know about the servant from this chapter. He's the one that rules everything in, in Abraham's house. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2, we're introduced to uh, a specific servant who's named Eliezer of Damascus. At that time, Abraham says that Eliezer of of Damascus is the ruler of all of his house, and he's crying out to God in that moment, and he's saying, God, I don't have a son, even though you've promised him to me. And right now, the steward, the heir of everything I have is this servant of mine, this chief servant, this chief steward, Eliezer. And so, uh, you know, we believe, and Jewish tradition supports the idea that this is still that same guy. This is Eliezer, the chief, ster- the chief servant who's been with, with Abraham all along. All right. So who is this guy? Well, that's who he is. What do we know about him? Not a whole lot. And I want to take us into our first kind of thought and first uh, points for study. I want us to look at the sacrifice of the servant. The sacrifice of this servant. The first thing we do know for sure about this servant is that he also gave up a homeland. This is Eliezer of Damascus who left with Abraham out of a land to come and to, to, to go into another land. And so this is a man, too, who, was, who, who, like us, we're inserting ourselves in right here, is a missionary who was sent. Well, not really, Who's a servant. Like he, he, maybe he was dragged. But he went. He went along, and he gave up his homeland. What Genesis 15 told us is that there was a time in his life and probably for a long, large period of his life where he was heir by default for being that, that, that chief steward, right? Which means the moment that Isaac died, or was born, I'm sorry. The moment that Isaac was born, this, this servant gave up everything. Abraham was a wealthy man by then. And all of that would have belonged to the servant until Isaac was born, So this servant was willing to give up absolutely everything in this world that would have been his. Talking about a next generation, talking about the future, trying to plan ahead and from a financial standpoint and, and an earthly perspective, this guy just lost it all. He had to give up everything. He went from inheriting everything to inheriting absolutely nothing. In Genesis chapter 17, God institutes the the covenant of, of, uh, of circumcision with Abraham. Chapter 17, verse 23, And Abraham took Ishmael his son and all that were born in his house and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of his foreskin that same day, as God had said unto him. And in my mind, it went down like this. Abraham's like, this is what's going to happen, guys. And they're all like, oh, cool. What's, all, what's this all about? And Abraham's like, watch. And because he was a man and because <laughs> God had called him first, he's like, look. And they're like, what? Uh, maybe not and then he's like Ishmael get over here because you're my son and you go next and then who went next chief servant step up Eliezer you're leader of all of these servants you want to talk about sacrifice you get to be the leader for all of them so not only had he given up everything financially and everything in turn that tied him back to his own homeland, but now he's giving up even his own flesh. He has to be a leader and all of those things. And now he's being asked to go and to find a wife for Isaac. There is a Jewish tradition that, that says that Eliezer uh, was, was hoping or, 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 or maybe even kind of pushing for the, the idea that Isaac would marry his own daughter, Eliezer's daughter. No, we don't have any of that in the biblical text. That's a Jewish tradition. Take it for what it's worth. But now he's being asked once again to, to make an, a, an enormous sacrifice and to give up everything and to go. And that's our first key point. And that's the first point that I want you to consider. And it's really simple, but it's this. It's servant to the servant to the mission must be willing to sacrifice. The servant to the mission must be willing to sacrifice for the mission. Why? Because the mission will require great sacrifice. In fact, it will require absolutely everything. Not only everything that you're willing to give, it will actually require even more. God will come and just like he came before that servant, just like Abraham, a picture of the father came to that servant and asked of him things that he never expected would be asked of him. Listen, the mission will require all of that and then some more. And to be a servant to the mission means you're willing for, to sacrifice. Period. Whatever it is. All of it. We're willing to sacrifice it. Of course, we, we know Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, and, and we... We are encouraged uh, oftentimes to, to lay our own bodies, our own lives, our own selves down as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. A sacrifice that is, is completely given up, yet living. Why? Because like the word, it can, it can continually come. It's alive and it can continually interact with you. You're a living sacrifice because the sacrificing isn't done yet. Because tomorrow the sacrifice will be a little bit different than it was today. Because 2022, God will ask something a little bit different than he asked of you in 2021. And you're still alive and you still have to choose and you still have to sacrifice. So be a living sacrifice. And so the servant loads up and departs. Here's his response. Chapter 24 and verse 10 in Abraham. That's the wrong chapter. And the servant took 10 camels with the camels of his master and departed. A right response to the call of the Father every time. What was that, Lord? Find you a bride. Okay. Let's pack up. Let's get going. And this is what he does. He packs up ten camels, camels of his master, and he departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand, and he arose, and he went unto Mesopotamia, unto the city of Nahor. And when he made his camels to kneel down without the city by the well of water, at the time of the evening even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said unto the Lord God, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto thy master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of men of the city come out to draw water and let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I will say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink and she shall say drink and and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. And it came to pass before he had done speaking that Rebekah comes out. So he jumps on his camel. Now, this guy's not young. This guy's already been serving Abraham for at least 55 years. When, when we look at back over, over you know, his life, uh, if, he was, if he was indeed the one who was there in Genesis 15. Uh, and, and he has to get on a camel, and he's got to go. Any of you ever ridden a camel? Anybody ever liked riding a camel? Yeah, I, do. I know. Yeah. I know you do, Wagi. And Chris told me today that he likes riding a camel, too. Listen, I've ridden a camel, and to be honest, it's fun. Like, it's cool, but it ain't comfortable, right? Like, they walk like this. You ride, and you're like, oh, Okay. And you move around and you, got, you get sea stick riding those things and they're so tall and their legs move funny and, and the whole thing, it's a, it's a rough ride. And so this, this guy gets on a camel and he goes, uh, and, and, he goes and, he, and he starts heading off. Um, uh, there's various accounts as to how long this journey took, anything from two to four weeks one way up to some would say it was a two-year round trip that this was a, a massive undertaking. Probably closer to that, like a month each direction. So a month each direction on a camel. Not fun for me, not comfortable. I mean, it'd be fun, just not comfortable. But listen, here's the next thing I want you to consider and I'll, and I'll talk us through this. But listen, being a servant to the mission will, re- will require great stamina, okay? The servant to the mission will require great stamina. This guy gets on a camel and, and, and he goes and then, and then he gets there and as soon as he gets there he makes the camels to kneel down, which by the way is the worst thing about riding a camel because they are so tall and then when they kneel down, you think you're going to faceplant from like 19 feet in the air and then somehow they flop down and you survive it. Okay, but he gets off the camel and then what's he do? And then he's like, I got to get to work and immediately this guy's ready to go. Immediately. After a month's journey, he's ready. And this is what the mission is like. And this is what the mission will require of all of us. It will require great stamina. In fact, it will require times in your life where you'll just be like, I have no idea how that just happened. You get on a mission trip and it's like, go, 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 and then, and, then, and then go slow, and then go, go, and then go home. And you're like, what on earth? How did that happen? But listen, listen, the mission is worth your stamina. The mission is worth you being willing to say, look, I'm, I'm gonna suck it up and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it. Sam often tells us around here, the only way to fail is to quit. Paul told us that to run with patience, the race that is set before you. Why? Because it's long, because it's an endurance run. He told us to press for the mark for the prize he told us to to finish your course he told us to look to the savior he told us to look actually to the throne he told us to look all the way beyond this life like Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame looking beyond that to what was coming stamina will be required and stamina is what very few Christians have these days in this day and age, it is a rare thing to find a Christian who walks with the Lord until the last day. However many years that may be that God chooses, stamina is not a character quality of the modern Christian. Stamina will be required. Psalm ninety-six, verse eight: Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name, and bring an offering, and come into His courts. I, I, I was just reading with my son the other morning and we, we were reading this chapter together and man, I just thought it was awesome because we were talking. just He kind of brought up this idea. He's like, come into coming the Lord's and offer a sacrifice and, and, and the service of your faith. What's the sacrifice? The service of my faith. For how long? Forever. All of it. Right? Philippians 2.17, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. I count it a joy to serve alongside the men that I get to serve alongside of, and I count it a joy to just to know by extension and serve by extension alongside of some of the men that are in this room, and though we're not in the same church, we're in the same family, and we're in the same mission, and, and, and you know, I'll look at guys like Thomas who are about my age, and we're young, and we got a lot of road ahead of us, and and there's nothing greater than knowing that I'm walking on that path right now with Thomas and I look at Sam, who's you know, a decade ahead of me and yet still has a whole lot of life ahead of him and it's a joy to serve with him, but you can keep looking and you can find men around the room who, who are older and older and older, but they get fewer and fewer and fewer. And that's not just because, well, James, statistically you don't find a lot of 100-year-olds. Like, I get that. But we should find a lot of 65-year-olds and 70-year-olds here. And that's my my prayer. Because I'm walking and, or maybe I'm shuffling, and I look over and I still see Thomas. I mean, he'll be down and I'll call. and Thomas will still be there, shuffling along too. So being a servant to the mission will require stamina because the mission is exhausting. The work that God calls us to do will wear you out. The next thing I want us to see real quickly is the state of the servant as well. The state of the servant is this. The servant was a, that is servant to the mission must be single-minded. He hops off that camel. He says, lay down camel. And immediately he gets busy looking for a wife. There was nothing else on the, on the agenda. Single-mindedness was what, was what characterized this man. In fact, uh, uh, you know, Rebecca, God answers that prayer even before he prays it. Rebecca comes out. And the next part of the passage says that he's like, is this for real? Like, God, are you prospering my way? And God's like, bro, I just answered your prayer exactly the way you prayed it. And, 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 and he's still a little confused. He's like, I'm gonna wait a minute and see if this really works out, okay? So, but it does, but here's the deal. This is the only thing on this guy's plate. This is the only thing on his mind. Like, it, If it's me, I'm like, can we get some lunch first? Can I take a nap? Uh, You know, maybe I could sightsee a little. Well, this well's pretty. Who built it? Uh, I've flown halfway around the world and that's only like a 24 hour trip. But I know when I get there, it takes me like four days to get ready to do anything, right? I get it, time zones are tough, but this guy just got off a 30 day camel journey and he's like, okay, mission time. Let's go. Talking about single-mindedness. And then we're going to jump ahead a few verses. So, so he, he approaches Rebecca and she's like, uh, yeah, my father is Laban. And they go to the house and they bring back and the brother comes and, uh, you know, he goes and he meets the family. We'll jump ahead to verse 33. Uh, verse 32, and the man came into the house and he ungirded his camels and they gave him straw and provender for his camels and water to wash his feet and in verse 33, and there was set meat before him. Now this is good. Like he's just been on a long journey. He's hot, he's sweaty, he's dusty, and now it's dinner time. He's been brought into a, a man's house. And he's like, I'm gonna take care of everything. You get comfortable. Here's dinner. And the servant said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand. Single-minded. Push the plate aside for a minute. There's something that needs to be accomplished first. And so the servant to the mission, while single-minded, must know that that the spiritual will always triumph or trump over the physical in your personal life. The single-mindedness has got to be set to the point where you say that the Spirit wins every time. I don't cave to the will of the flesh. I don't care what it wants. I don't care how comfortable it is. I don't care how easy it is. The Spirit gets the final say. And when, a, when the Spirit says, that's what I do. Have some dinner. We got some business to talk about. I want to take your daughter from you. Uh, okay. Uh, tell me more about that. <laughs> but being a servant to the mission will require you to be uniquely focused, not easily deterred. Right? It goes back to being to have stamina. How is it you can have stamina to make it to the end of the mission? Because you are single-minded, because you have set your eye and your affection, singular, on things above. We often misquote that verse. Set your affections. It doesn't say that. It says your affection. Because you get one. You get one. And God, Jesus told us that. You get one thing that will consume you. You get to pick what it is but you must be single-minded. You must value the mission over everything else and including over self as well. And this, is, this produces a unique quality in our life. When you are single-minded, it will produce stability into your life, and this is important. James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, right? So a, so a, so a single-minded man is therefore stable, and all his ways, and this is important. If you're going to be a servant to the mission, if you are going to accomplish the mission that God has set before you, is that you must have stability in your life. That only comes when you are set single-mindedly on that right foundation, on the foundation which is Christ. First Kings eighteen twenty-one, and Elijah came unto all the people, and he said, "How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him." And the people answered him not a word. And that's often how the church answers too. When presented with the exact same question. Well, if you're God, then go ahead. Do what you want. But if you're not, then follow him. And then we answer not a word. So the servant to the mission must be single-minded. And this brings us as we just read verse 33, I have an errand, and he said, speak on. And this brings us to a key idea, verse 34, and the servant. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. Wait a minute. All along, we've been talking about the idea of being servant to the mission and what the mission will require. It will require sacrifice. It will require stamina. It will require you to be single-minded good news. It'll produce a, a stability in your life. But listen, what the what the servant says when when he when he begins to speak is this i am servant to abraham and this is actually what single mindedness is all about all along he isn't actually servant to the mission up front the mission isn't first he's servant to the master you see that In fact, he's been saying it all along. We didn't read the whole chapter, but he says it when you jump back to verse uh, 12 when he gets off the camel and he prays and he said, Lord God of my master Abraham. He's declaring him his master. And in verse 34 that we just read, he declares himself servant to the master. In verse 49, he jumped, if you jump ahead, he says, and now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master. And, and you look at the way he talks about it all the way through the chapter. And, and the reality is, is that this servant is actually not about the mission first. It's about the master first. And this is actually the call, and this is actually where I want to focus us tonight is that our life is, uh, while we need to be about the mission, we don't need to be about the mission first. Why? Because we can be about the mission in the power of our flesh. You can actually be about the mission without being about the master. But you can't be about the master and not be about the mission. And this is what the servant is saying. The servant is saying, listen, this is all about my master. Like the details of what he tells me to do, okay, I'll do it. Why? Because the master has his heart. So this is the key. So, so as we, we work our way through in, in the final analysis, we have to see that the servant is given wholly to the master. And that has got to be where we find ourselves as we move into uh, 2022 that uh, I know it's my job here to call us in and to focus on the mission. But listen, you cannot focus rightly on the mission until you have first focused rightly on the master, the one who delivers the mission, the one who gives the instruction, the one who tells you what the mission is. If you don't have his heart, if you don't love him, then you will not finish. You won't be those things that we saw earlier. The will of the Master has to become your will. The mission of the Master has to become your, ma- your, your mission. The loves of the Master have to become your loves. And the, and the hates of the Master have to become your hates. And that means I'm putting things in and I'm putting things on and I'm putting things out and I'm putting things off as well because it's all about the Master first, not the mission. We do though, we're capable. If you're a preacher and you're honest, you know that you've done it in the power of the flesh. There have been times when it wasn't master first, it was mission and I can do it. Stamina is something I have in the flesh. Like I, I got a lot of stamina. I can fast in the power of my flesh. I can preach in the power of my flesh. I can study in the flesh. I can do a lot of things in the flesh. But I can't love the master in the flesh. So we're going to work backwards, right back through those same three points. We were just looking at the state of the servant. We need to revisit the state of the servant. And I'm going to, and I'm going to change this, this last key point that I give you. The servant to the master will be not single minded. Oh, you can't see that very well, can you? He will be secure. Okay, that's, that's, the new, that's the new key point. And this is the point uh, that we, we need to grab onto. The, the servant to the master will be secure because we just talked about how single-mindedness will produce a stability in you, but knowing the master will give you a security that you can face anything. Not just stable, but rooted and grounded in the master secure in who you are, secure in your role, secure in who you serve. It will give you a security... in front of of Almighty God, but it will give you a security amongst those around you to say, you know what? I may not be uh, Brandon Briscoe, and I may not be as good a preacher as Kenny Morgan, and I may not be as good a church planter as Jeff Bartell, and I may not be any of those things, but you know what I am? I'm exactly who the Master made me to be, and I can have security in that, and so I'm going to love the Master, and I'm going to do what the Master called me to do. That's where you need to be going into 2022. For an example, remember Saul, King Saul, went to war. Jonathan's getting some victories. And Saul's in in his flesh. He's like, I'm going to get some revenge. And he makes this this oath. He's like, nobody eats today or you die. Jonathan didn't hear it because he's out winning wars at that time. And so he he catches back up and he's walking. He's like, oh, honey. And he dips his staff and he eats some honey. And then uh, Saul finds out. And Saul's like, well, time to kill him. And this is where you get, you get a really good picture of this. Because every, every soldier in that army, they were all servants to the mission. Right? But as soon as it came time to, to change the mission and to kill Jonathan, they were like, "Nah." no. They all bailed out. They're like, we're not doing it, Saul. Because Saul didn't have their heart. They weren't servants to the master. They were going along for the mission, but the, ma- the master wasn't the one that held their heart. In fact, if anything, we see that Jonathan did hold their heart. That they had a master, but it wasn't Saul. And so they, they weren't about that mission. Contrast that with Abraham, whose mission was to go and to sacrifice your son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. And he's like, pack up some wood, get a knife, let's go. Why? Because the master had his heart. And that means the details of the mission didn't matter. It could change. The servant who is faithful to the master will be faithful to the mission because the mission is the master's heart. And there's security in that in front of the Lord. There's security in that in your personal life as well. And that produces uh, a powerful outcome. And the outcome is identity. The outcome of having a heart that is given first to the master, that, that, that you are secure in that, it gives you identity. And as I just talked about... I'm, I'm going to be me, and I can be, I can be comfortable being exactly who God made me to be, and you can be you, and you can be comfortable being exactly who God made you to be. And you can have that identity, and you can be secure in that. I'm Abraham's servant, the Lord God of my master, Abraham. He just repeats that over and over, and this becomes particularly important when the details of the mission change. There are times in life when the mission gets hard and, and gets a little turbulent and, and up in the air and it's uncertain. And those who have served in the mission field have. Uh, have some, those who serve in the mission field and don't serve the master have a very hard time dealing with change. Right? But those who serve the master are secure in their identity. Well, I'm his son. All right, mission, mission can change, no problem. It's interesting, the three of us who will be speaking here tonight. Jeff Bartel, go, go, to, go out to Albania and plant a church. Yes, you're the master. Jeff Bartell, leave Albania. That's a big change. Jeff, go take over a church in Ohio. Yes, sir. Why? Because the mission doesn't matter as much as the master does, but when the master matters, then the details of the mission, you just, you go, right? Uh, Joe, you're in Decatur. How about you go to Cartersville? Okay. Joe, you, you, you're settled in Cartersville. Cartersville's going good. Things are going well. Church is growing. Okay, how about you go to Decatur? Uh James, Midtown's a good place. Yeah, go to Pakistan. Okay, we'll go to Pakistan. Okay, you're in Pakistan. Things are going good. Getting some, some traction, making some disciples. Good. Okay, come back. Okay. Because you can be secure in who God has made you to be. You have to have that if you're going to survive the changes that come to the mission. So his identity is not even actually specifically given in this passage. That's interesting. Throughout the entirety of this chapter, you, he's not never, ever named. He's the, the servant. The servant. The servant. His identity was what? The master. Abraham. Abraham's my master. That's all we know. Specifically from this chapter about his identity. Backing up to point two again, the service of the servant. If we revisit that, I told you that being a servant... Uh, to the mission would require stamina, and that's true. The mission absolutely requires stamina, but listen, being servant to the master will require supernatural strength. Because you actually cannot complete the mission in your strength. The mission that you have been called to is far greater than what you can do, no matter how great your stamina is. In fact, if all you have is stamina, then you have a 100% fail rate in the mission, guaranteed. Because it is a supernatural mission that will require supernatural strength. And the wise servant recognizes this, and then so the wise servant, as soon as he gets off that camel, he realizes, man, I'm excited because you know, this mission's fun, and I could run out there, and I could start talking to all the pretty girls and try to find one for my, for my master's son, but he doesn't do that. What's he do? He gets off the camel and he goes straight to his knees. He says, this is a supernatural mission and I have no idea what I'm doing. And I need you to help me, Lord. Our mission endeavors have got to be powered by prayer and prayer and prayer and prayer. Did I say prayer? I was in... Every missionary gets this. Every pastor gets this. There's there's seasons in your life, and and I said this earlier with stamina. But then there's seasons in your life where you get into the mission and you look back and go, I really have no idea how that happened. That was that was beyond human capacity and capability to do. And and you look and you see at times where where you're just you're like, I actually didn't eat for the last six days because the mission required it. You're like, how'd that happen? (laughs) Right? I was in El Salvador. Uh, we had been praying for a long time about an opportunity to get into the school and share the gospel and, and that door opened. And um, and so we're excited. They invited me to come and speak to the graduating classes and, and the juniors that were promoting up. So it's about 300 students, the seniors and the juniors. And so Jim, Mel, and, and I are real excited. And then, and then the night before we get a call that the school had been robbed, all the sound equipment's gone, event canceled and jim's like no way we'll bring our own so we ship all the sound equipment from the church over there and we're like satan's not stopping it we're going to do this uh you know and so i get there i wake up the day of and and i'm sick like my body says no this thing isn't happening well, i was like but i know what the master said and so i get up and i and i and i get on a bus and like i'm puking on the bus and i go over to the place and uh, I meet the, the people, and they're like, here's the order of service. And I'm like, great, got go to go. And I'm in the bathroom, and I'm literally on the floor with my face in the toilet and, and, and puking. And then they knock on the door, and they go, James, it's time. You got to get on stage now. And all I knew what to do is to say, this is a weird mission, but listen, Master, here's, here's the reality. This requires supernatural strength, and I know I can't do it but I know you have a message to deliver. And I'm gonna walk out there on stage, God, and I'm trusting that you will do something supernatural. And I got up out of the bathroom and I walked out there and, and just as I've been speaking to you now, God gave me the ability to, to use my body and to move and to speak and deliver a message and, and, and souls were saved. Because the, the mission is, is supernatural. And those who are a servant to the master know that it will require a supernatural work. Except God move, then the mission will fail. And except God move, then, then why bother? And I walked off the stage and walked straight to the bus and started puking. and spent the rest of the day in bed. I don't know how that happens. But I know this, it's not by might nor by power. I know this, Asa cried unto the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with few. And my speech, my reasoning, was not with man's words, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and that's the prayer. And this is a key. It's not on your slide, but I want you to write this down. The place of dependence is the place of provision. I think every pastor and church planter and missionary in the room get that. I know one of them does because he told me that this morning and I stole it. <laughs> but it's very true. And it's exactly what I was trying to say, just in better words. The place of dependence is the place of provision. You go, why do I, why, how come I don't see the provision of God in my life? Well, because you've never come to the place where you actually depended on Him. You never came to the end of yourself, you're still working in stamina, and you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Well, I wanna see God move. Then get to where you can't do it. Then get yourself engaged in a supernatural work. When you look back at 2021, we're coming to the end of the year, do you see supernatural work in your life? Or do you see stamina? It was a tough year, we got it out though. What an awful testimony. It was a tough year. God did some miracles. That's what I want. The result of this is uh, is it, simple. It's joy versus pride. When, when we move forward in stamina, we have something invested and we have the ability to take pride in what was done. But when we move forth in supernatural power, then there is nothing that we can take credit for. There is absolutely no reason for us to be proud of any of it. And all that we can do is just like the servant, the servant is, is rejoicing at the glory that his master is getting. We have got to be in a position where where the supernatural is happening because if the natural is happening, then someone can look over and be like, look what Andrew did. Look what the master did. And we want to be in a place where we, just like that servant, can just disappear and be like, who are you? I'm, I'm the servant of the master and I'm excited to be that. Last, real quickly, revisiting point number one, the servant to the master will require great surrender. Not just sacrifice, but absolute surrender. Because sacrifice can become a bargaining trip or or a trade when not viewed properly, right? Like in chess, I sacrifice my rook or my knight in order to gain an advantage later in the game. That's a sacrifice. And sometimes we do that with Christ. We do that with his mission. We, we, we look at our sacrifices as a means for us to make a deal with God, as if it gained us some kind of leverage down the road, as if I've now positioned myself to, to hold something against God. Like, hey, you remember when I did that thing for you? As if God was, was quid pro quo. <laughs> no, God says, look, it's true. The mission will require sacrifice but serving the master will re- require complete surrender. That means you take that king and you lay it down on that chessboard. What does that mean? You don't get anything in the future. You, you gave up all your rights, all your choices, all of your options. Because there is a, great da- there is a very great danger in running missions or in running church planting like it was a gambit. Like I give a little now and I get something better later down the road. Like I serve this church for a little while, then God owes me a bigger church down the road. Like I go to this hard mission field now, and then God owes me a, a position in administration of the mission's organization down the road. None of that is true with God. God is asking for complete surrender, and that is it. You will sacrifice a lot for the mission, but sacrifice is easy when you've already said, I gave up. We do it in our daily life, too, though. We're like, hey, God, remember, I read my Bible this morning, and I got up early to do it, so you owe me. What's the outcome? The outcome of complete surrender is that we begin to understand the difference between the cost and the value. See, Christians are really good at understanding the cost because God tells us. Like It just comes right out there, and he tells us, this is the cost right? Take up a cross, lay down everything, follow me. What we're not as good at understanding is the value. Because value is, is an individual uh, assessment. It's an individual determination. Am I actually willing to pay what the cost is asking? And when I say yes, that means I, my, I have valued this thing evenly with what the, what the cost of it is, Right? We have a a class here in our church called The Cost of Discipleship, and and what the discipleship team does is they, they do that. They tell you the cost. They say, this is what it costs to follow Christ, and when they get to the end of the class, what they ask you to do is to make an evaluation of that. Is it worth that much to you? And this is what we will be doing this week as we, as, over the next three days, as we lay out the, the heart of missions and, and what God wants to do. Is all of it will be look, this is the mission, and this is what it takes, and this is the cost. Are you willing to pay that much for it? Is it that valuable to you? I want to read Adoniram Judson's letter to Ann Hasseltine's father asking for permission to marry her he met this woman and he liked her and he wrote her a letter, wanted to marry her. And he's like, she said, you got to ask my father. And so this is what he wrote to the father. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent for her departure and her subjection to the hardships of sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of the one who left his heavenly throne or his heavenly home and died for her and for you, and for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and for for the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise which will redound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. He sure knew how to woo him, huh? (laughs) He just wrote that letter to a father and said, this is the cost. And uh, this is the letter that was written to all of us. This is the cost. So, how do you value that? We need Seth and, and our worship team to come up. We've got we to gotta wrap up. And I'm going to ask you guys just to go ahead and, and, and bow your heads and, and close your eyes and take a minute to consider. consider what you've been serving for the past year. Has it been the mission or has it been the master? To consider how you've been serving over the past year, has it been in your strength by the power of your stamina or has it been a total surrender? Have you offered to make deals with God or have you said absolutely not, you can have it all? Listen, you absolutely should be focused on the mission, but you should be focused on the mission because you are in love with the master. And that is the question tonight. And so as we begin to sing, maybe you have things you need to leave right in this pew or down here at the altar. Maybe there's some decisions that need to be made to set your heart right for 2022. Maybe you've never seen God really move supernaturally in your life, and you want to be a part of that. Those are the things that you need to consider as we sing. And we'll have one song, and we'll have a few minutes, and, and then we'll move on. But I would challenge you right now to not wait, not to put it off, not to trade it. I'll get back to it, God. But to deal with it and to give it to the Lord.